0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic
1: that makes you look or feel good with long-form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation.
0: Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? We can hear you after, after last <laughs> week's complete screw-up. actually care.
2: <laughs> How's your week been, mate? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Not too busy. The um, weather has been very nice here. So I'm heading for the beach in an so. Oh, oh nice. nice. Yeah. So. Uh, What's the beach I like
0: in to. Holland? I didn't... Well, obviously you have beaches, but what are they like?
2: Big. Big? They're very big, yeah. It's like the, the entire country is on the seaside. So um, it's miles and miles and miles and miles of beach. And, um, well, the weather is not that great every day, of course. So it's not like Australia, it's not like Bondi <laughs> Beach or anything like that. But when the weather is nice, and um, and the weather, water is cold now, but it, the water can be okay in about a month or so. Hmm. Right. And um, and now you just go in for the kick and uh, enjoy the cold and try to appreciate <laughs> that.
1: Do you, do you surf, Tom? What do you do when you go to the beach? Are you just sunbaking? Are you building sandcastles? <laughs> I don't think they surf in Holland. You, well, who knows?
2: Maybe. <laughs> well, I surfed once on on Manly Beach, to be oh, exact. Yeah, and um, that was pretty good because I had a very bad cold, and I, I've never been uh, rinsed from the inside so <laughs> so vigorously as that day on Manly Beach. Um, it's 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 special i I'm not good at it, but uh it's something I would like to try again when I come down to your country
0: hopefully soon. you should try colonic irrigation that works as well. Have you tried that <laughs> no, thank you <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> enough. and to um the hat yeah and and how's the situation been uh locally with covid and everything where, where are you guys at now
2: well uh, and, and numbers are dropping I think uh probably half of the population is uh, vaccinated right now brilliant i guess and uh, we're starting to we're starting making plans and from the first of july bigger gatherings music festivals and all that will recommence and um with testing and some kind of app to show that you're out of vaccinated or had the virus or anything like that. So it's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Brilliant. Brilliant. That so sounds good.
0: Are you, are you able to fly? Because we, we're stuck. We can't, literally, we can't get out. We've, we haven't been able to leave since last February, I think.
1: We can go to New Zealand at the moment. But oh, that's, that's about true. It. I beg your that, pardon? That's We've about it. The, yeah. We've got the bubble.
2: Yeah, yeah, we can fly. We can fly uh, with restrictions and testing and, and all that. Um so I I'm planning on going to Lisbon for a few days with my daughter next week. Um that is possible with testing and all that. Yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to look forward to.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tom, sure. um I know who you are. Jake knows who you are. We had um one of your esteemed students, Julie Hornon not long ago, who was singing your praises. But for all of those ah. listeners who aren't familiar with you? Could you just give us a bit of a summary about your background and how you got into injectables and and sort of what you do day to day, just so we can orientate ourselves a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, um, I was born in um, 1969. I'm from the 60s um, <laughs> in Holland, in, in the south, uh, in a small town. And I've always wanted to become either an inventor or a plastic surgeon of some sort. So I did my college and uh, did some years of heart surgery and plastic surgery. Couldn't really get into a training position, which were very scarce at that moment, or about six every year. And I well, did some moonlighting on the side, I did some injectables on the side. And that kind of exploded in numbers and uh, in interest. And the thing is, I invented in 2004, I invented a different way of injecting hyaluronic acid that enables you to have better results and um, more long-lasting and more natural and all that. That made me kind of a teacher worldwide on the subject. And then not only the numbers changed, but the the way you you live and work in the field changed a lot for me. And becoming a key opinion leader was great because you get in contact with all special people like Julie Horn and you, 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 you really get into the, um, in the nicer positions, uh, one of the nicer positions in this field. So where you can really work and play and enjoy the work you do, and, and teaching, and all uh, you know, that, yeah. I'm curious to know,
0: Tom, so I think I read somewhere you started in around 2003, which is, you know, it, it's going a reasonable time back, and like you said, you were one of the first to to do it, so who did you learn from, and who were your mentors, or, and are you still in touch with them now?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, my, my main mentor was Lainey Schalken, mm-hmm. and she has been... Quite under the radar for a few decades, but is now uh, her claim to fame. Now is the ultrasound courses that she does, and and she's very much into that. And, and she really, she 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 did teach me everything, uh, together with her colleague Leo from because the her intention was their intention was to get me into to their clinic. And um, so they taught me all the tricks. And then they had like a separate clinics they were working for. So we kind of split ways in a, in a good way. And in that time, I mean, it was 2004. Nobody knew what to do exactly. And I was trying new ways of injecting. And I discussed that with her. And she's the one that said, well, Actually, you made your own injection technique here. So she was the one that stimulated me to bring that out and to uh, make it official. Uh, so much kudos for her. Brilliant.
1: Yeah, that's, that's where I started. So back, so back in two thousand three, two thousand four, what were the treatments that you were doing, and what products did you have at your disposal? I mean, I know that in Australia, people were started off with very basic upper face Botox and nasolabial folds and and lips, and you sort of had the crossover from collagen through to the hyaluronic acids. But what was it like for you where you started?
2: When I started, of course, we had Dysport uh, and Botox, and um, for hyaluronic acid, we had hyloform, which was an animal-based um, Rusacome a acid, pretty worthless, actually. I mean, <laughs> uh, crap. I mean, <laughs> if you had a good result, it would stick for about a, six weeks, uh, if you had any, right? And we had bioacaly, which was, of course, uh, a permanent filler. And at that time, it was the thing that people wanted. And we loved the results with that. We we had great results with bioacaly. And it took a few years, about two years, to discover that the great data from that permanent filler was not so great at all. I mean, by that time, we learned that 0.4% of the patients would have an infection that could be easily be treated with uh, antibiotics and then resolved. By 2006, we found that the numbers were about 5% well, um, of infections. And some of those cases were more severe and the material was not that easy to uh, get out as we initially thought. So then we stopped using biochemy. So in that time, I think it's 2004, that i came across wrestling as an alternative to the hyaluronic acid and it's a funny story because there was one guy that that worked in the office and that did the wrestling course and um, so I, I, i looked at the results and it seemed that those results were like similar to the Hyloform once, but later on, we heard that he charged much more than the results would indicate. And it turned out that he stole half of the syringes that he sold to the patient. (laughs) so that made me re-evaluate wrestling. So the crap results would not be from the wrestling. The crap results would come from the fact that you still have the products God. to start his own clinic. Um,
1: uh-huh. That's the entrepreneurial spirit, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's,
2: it's not a story.
1: I'm sure that's happened <laughs> to you before, David, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I accidentally... <laughs> oh, yeah, you get that. I've had I've had people in the past that say, Oh, I. uh I sk- it all squirted out on purpose, uh, uh, by accident. I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, well, where is it? Oh, I threw it out. Oh, can I see the syringe? Oh, no, no. It's, I don't know. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I think like that happened. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. I had this one patient she said, well, I paid for four syringes, but I only felt two stitches, two, <laughs> two, 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 two jabs. And I thought, hmm, that might give. that. That's a giveaway. Yeah. So, then I did my own training on Restylane and I started experimenting and doing the workshops. And at one point there was this um, blog from, uh, from Sweden coming to see my workshop. And that was just before I invented this fern pattern technique. So a few months later I called him up I said, well, I have this new technique I want to show you. He said, well, come to Sweden and we have this, group of 50 people in a small conference um, like the 50 biggest wrestling users in Sweden come together and if you want to present that that's that's okay with me so imagine me in the plane trying to not be nervous um, because maybe the 50 most uh, wrestling or the biggest wrestling users in Sweden they kind of I was anticipated that they did what I was doing um, for years and years. But uh, it turned out that it was new to them also. And, and and that was a crazy night because all those practitioners, most of them nurses in Sweden, they, uh, they got a, a goodie bag. And inside the goodie bag was one syringe of wrestling. <laughs> yeah. And there was a queue of, nurses who wanted to be treated by me <laughs> after my talk before the gala dinner so to 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 make the story even more complex just before i did my presentation i went running in in the woods to straighten up my mind and i hurt my ankle i strained my ankle so imagine me After my talk, before the gala dinner, injecting heaps and heaps of nurses, Swedish nurses, which wanted to dance with me afterwards, (laughs) after the gala dinner, all bruised up, (laughs) all in makeup and swollen, and it was crazy. It was crazy, but it was a a beautiful day. Those are the days. Just just explain
0: what the ferning technique is for for those who may not have come across it.
2: Well, furning is a way to strengthen the skin with hyaluronic acid uh, as opposed to filling underneath. So if you see a wrinkle or a fold and you squeeze the skin, you can try and solve that by putting some hyaluronic acid underneath or you can distinguish a lack of volume, uh, distinguish that uh, and see that it's a lack of strength of the skin maybe and if you want to change that if you want to strengthen the skin you don't need volume you need strength the best way to strengthen the skin is to put hyaluronic acid in the dermis itself so much more superficial than what we were taught to do the most effective way is to if you have a line or a fold, to come from both sides and to intertwine uh, your injections to make a strong structure, and that resembles the leaves of fern, yeah, uh, from both sides. So that that's the principle. Right. It's just making the distinction between filling underneath and strengthening in the dermis itself.
1: And what is it that you're actually trying to achieve by injecting it into? then Jake probably knows the answer to this question, but I guess for all the lay people out there like me, are you mm-hmm. trying to are you trying to mimic Collagen. What is it when you say strengthen the skin? What is it that's depleted that you're looking to correct?
2: Yes. Well, and and first, you you are re-strengthening the collagen damage that has been done by uh, aging, sun, acne scarring, and uh, wear and tear. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if you smile every every time you smile, there's a certain point in your cheek where the skin decides to fold. And imagine like a piece of paper, if you fold it a hundred times, it will break. So that will happen to your collagen you know, also. So the weaker points get weaker. And the way back is to strengthen everything that's weak.
0: Yep. I used your and- technique just yesterday, actually. Um, <clears throat> I like it on the accordion lines, it, exactly what you said. When, when, when people smile, they've kind of got sun-damaged Australian skin. Uh exactly like Tom said, if you inject sort of perpendicularly to that line, it's almost like I explained it to the patient, like it's like reinforced um steel, where where you've got that sort mm-hmm. of lattice of steel within the concrete. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's what you're doing with the hyaluronic acid and it, it works amazingly. And and you don't need a lot of product either.
2: No, no, no. You you lose I mean, I, I normally use like one syringe for an entire phase. Yeah. It, if you are in the right plane, you don't need that much.
1: Right. And what product are you using for that? I'm assuming it's something that's fairly thin.
2: A fairly sturdy. Because oh, right. I want something that is uh, um, adding a lot of strength and almost no volume. Right. So that's why I like the Restylane, uh, uh Nasha products, the, like the old-fashioned wrestling uh, products, because they're much sturdier than the more modern so to speak uh, fillers um, which pride themselves in being very gooey and very smooth and moving with the tissue and all that i don't need that i want some something grainy almost couscous like <laughs> in order to to make the distinction between strength and volume Right.
1: And do you have any risks of, you know, lumps or of anything visible, whether it be or maybe even to the touch as well? Because I know that sometimes when you see injectors go too superficially, you can see those, those sort of uneven sort of undulations under the surface of the
2: skin. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it's, it's you're trying to, 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 to live on the edge and to uh, get as much strength out of your treatment as you can without making it visible the good thing is if you are mid dermis the chances of showing are, are minor i mean for instance if you go for the tear the tyndall effect you see that in that area is mostly from subdermal injections and the subdermal tissue is much more loose connective so it will enables you to give a lot of volume without resistance of the tissue holding it back. Where if you are in middermis, it's quite difficult to overdose because the material you're you're working in is so is so stiff. So yeah, it's 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 like working with a sharp knife. Uh, of course you can cut yourself, but um, a blunt knife can be more dangerous than than a sharp. Knife. Good analogy. Now, I'm mindful that
0: this is not the topic of, <laughs> of the podcast, but we'll have to get you back for a phoning podcast. Um, so one thing that keeps on... Let's dropping, make
2: this the phoning podcast. Let's do perfect. it. Let's do the phoning podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, one uh, topic that keeps on coming up uh, is regulations and you know training and laws around injecting and we've discussed ad nauseum Australia and the UK keeps on cropping up and then sort of talking to friends and and then eventually we were put in touch Tom and we sort of realised that Holland is one of the only countries that I know of, I don't know if you know any others that have actually done a bit of a U-turn and has regulated and created an injectable specialty for doctors. So that happened, I believe, in 2019. But do you just want to give us a bit of a flavor for what life was like prior to that? I mean, you know, I'm guessing it was similar to Australia and everywhere else. But who was injecting before and, you know, what was the situation?
2: I'm afraid the situation hasn't changed very much, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, we have to to go back in time a long way. I mean, um, maybe even 18 years or so at that time uh, we as cosmetic doctors we were confronted with dermatologists who claimed that they were the only one that could do injectables because they were dermatologists, and on the other side we had plastic surgeons who claimed they could do those treatments and uh, nobody else mm-hmm. So there was much, there was a lot of aggression from those both uh, specialties. That forced us into forming this organization to uh, be at least a hundred people to be able to talk with the government as an official group uh, representing doctors. And, and from that organization, the wish. Became apparent to get a registration or a specialization of some sort. The thing is that if you are within that specialization, you can call yourself cosmetic doctor, Kanemche, whatever. If you choose not to do that, as I do, you can still call yourself cosmetic doctors and you can still do all the procedures without any problem so it's a very it's a minor distinction
0: between the one and the other. can you just clarify that so so prior to 2019 you had doctors derms plastics you know injecting but maybe squabbling you formed this alliance, or, or, or a number of doctors formed uh, an organisation, spoke to the government, and and got more recognition. But you don't have to be part of that to inject. Still, no, 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 no. Right, okay, that sounds sensible. And just to um, make this a bit more complicated, no nurses
2: are injecting in Holland. No, I think nurse practitioners is something that is quite new in Holland. Maybe they will be able to inject. Mm-hmm. Dentists were able to inject there there's some court thing happening, so we're not very sure about that. But I, I think ninety nine percent of what who's injecting in Holland is is doctor. And it doesn't matter what kind of doctor you are. I mean, any doctor can inject. Yeah, and and you've already
0: mentioned you, you've you taught in Sweden You know, many years before all of these changes in Holland and, and you were teaching nurses and you've taught all over the world to all sorts of practitioners. Do, do you have any views on limiting it only to doctors in Holland? Hmm.
2: I think the situation in Holland where we have quite a lot of doctors that are specialized in um, cosmetic procedures, I think that's a good situation. Um, if you look at Belgium, for instance, there's about maybe 500 dermatologists and, and, uh, who do uh, use uh, injectables, but as, as a side activity. And that has to do with regulations also. I mean, I, I can advertise. I can go on the internet, I can go on YouTube and Instagram or whatever, and I can advertise for my, I can do billboards. Mm-hmm. So it's it's easy for someone like me to fill my agenda with just injectable patients. In Belgium, you can only hang a sign with your name and it has to be about this size. <laughs> right. And you cannot mention... Aesthetics in your waiting room, stuff like that. It's very restrictive. So, as a result, you have hundreds and hundreds of people who do it a little bit. I think the situation in, in the Netherlands is better, where you have like 200 people that do nothing but cosmetic procedures. So I think for the patient, that that's ultimately better.
1: Now, with this um, specialist qualification or recognition, um, how do you go about? applying for that what sort of standard or competency do you need to satisfy before you can use that i guess that well i guess the first question is if it makes no difference why would you get it to start with and b what do you have to do to get it and why have you chosen not to do it
2: well question a uh, money (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then that that's what that what is i mean um My my issue with with the whole concept is the fact that it's all about money. And it would be great if it would be about patient satisfaction, safety, whatever. Um, But the thing is, if you do this training, you do it just to make sure that you can prolong your career in this field. And that that fear of not being able to inject, that is very much promoted by the bodies that give the courses. (laughs) And this is where my ethical persona is is kicking and screaming because it should be about patient safety and should should not be, I think, about um, making your peers fearful of not being able to inject in the future, and that's what's happening. I mean, if if you are starting as a doctor and you want to become a cosmetic doctor, and you come across this uh, organization, they will say, "Well, in two years' time, you cannot inject Botox anymore unless you have this qualification," which is rubbish.
1: <laughs> sounds <laughs> like you, sounds like the mafia. You're paying protection money. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And the thing is with the mafia, nobody is trying to convince you that it's ethical.
1: Yeah. At least they're honest about what they are. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I think I, well, I don't know them, (laughs) certainly, but if I, if if I look at the movies, nobody tries to be uh, uh, ethical or or wants to come across as, as ethical. And, And this is what grieves me. I mean, be honest about it. It's it's about money, yeah. right? It's about trying to protect your field more than trying to protect your patient.
1: Yeah, well, if it makes you feel any better, Tom, um, this conundrum that you're wrestling with is not unique to Holland. It seems to happen all around the world. We have the same issues here in Australia, and I think patient safety should always be number one, but you do get various um, groups and individuals who will hide behind that statement to then drive a political or a commercial agenda in the background. So it's, it's very disingenuous and I don't think that it does our industry any good, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the, as a, to answer your question, why are you not, not uh, uh, within, that, within a specialty? That, that's the, the main reason. And the other reason is because I can, because I do have this uh, uh, longstanding uh, uh, reputation and international uh, recognition. So I'm not that afraid of people trying to stop me injecting. And so I, I want to encourage young doctors to think for themselves and to be really ethical and not spend a huge amount of money on something that's not really worth it i guess i mean there's so many things you want to learn about injectables and a training should be for that training should not be for trying to distinguish yourself for commercial reasons Mm -hmm. uh, under a uh what do you call it and sort of ethical umbrella
1: yeah well you know one of the big statements that gets made and, and Jake sort of said, you know, this whole thing in UK, it's sort of what people point to and say, well, look, this is, this is what can happen. This is how bad it can get, where well, you've got people that aren't medical professionals, nurses or doctors, it could be a beautician, could be your house cleaner, could be anyone injecting mm-hmm. double fillers. So I guess that's, that's the potential worst case scenario that you could end up in. And what's your opinion on that, on that UK situation? And where do you think they went wrong, and how can they potentially fix it?
2: Well, I mean, I'm so happy with Brexit. As, <laughs> as I, I <laughs> when I when I look into, I'm I'm into one of those uh, uh, Facebook groups that discuss um, laymen uh, working in our field, and it's it's mind-boggling how what people think they can come away with. And and they actually do get away with yep. ignorance and uh, inability to 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 make a diagnosis. And of course, they cannot make a diagnosis because they their hairdressers and beauticians and whatnot. I'm very happy the situation in Holland is not like that. I do not understand actually. I do not understand the UK government in this. So why why would you allow everybody? To inject. I mean it's not that not that difficult to, to make it as a crime to to poke a needle in somebody's face. I mean it's it's in Holland it's just forbidden to inject unless you are a doctor yeah. or a nurse or a dentist. As easy as that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why what's what's keeping that.
1: Well, you know, if if Holland's got an issue with something being too lax, you know you have a problem because from what I understand, <laughs> Holland is a very easygoing country in most respects. Um so, yeah, that's probably uh, within I'm, limits. Yeah.
2: Within limits. Yeah. I mean, the boundaries in Holland are very strict. Yep. Although people do not re- realize I, I was for instance, I was sitting at a train a few years back and there were tourists from Italy, and the train stopped for five minutes, and they got outside the train, and they smoked a joint. <laughs> you don't do that, you know. You cannot do that. Mm. I mean, you can smoke a joint, but you can smoke a joint at home, or in the park, or at certain coffee shops, but you cannot do that outside a train. I mean, and, and a friend of mine from Portugal, he pointed that out, that it seems that holland is very liberal but there are certain lines you cannot cross and they're just they're just different and and it's 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 very subtle but it's very strict
1: yeah well that's what i was alluding to because i I mean i've never been to holland but that's the the stories that you hear is it's very relaxed you can you know you can take drugs and do all sorts of things and it's very relaxed so that's what i was alluding to so it seems like there there is nuance there even as well with you know the do's and don'ts yeah
2: Well, so you can you can go to a club and you can take drugs, but you don't do it on the dance floor.
0: Yes, right.
2: So there's
0: boundaries to everything. Yeah. Now I want to get back to to our sort of question of was this a good a good idea or not? So the doctors who formed this group and you know lobbied the government and said we want to be recognised. Did did they have any regrets uh, or or are they happy with the situation as it is? Uh, we will never know.
2: Mm-hmm. The thing is, I mean, everybody has a personal, personal agenda. Uh, and my personal agenda is that I want to keep working in this field and I want to have my patients and my trainings and all that. And some people want a more political-like career in 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 boards like this. And it's just not my piece of... Uh, my piece of cake, or my, my, my cup of tea, so to speak. So no, I don't think there are regrets. I think people that are within that specialty group are happy that they're in. Uh, people that are not, they don't care that they're not. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I think.
0: And, and can you tell us what the, what the new pathway for for new injectors who who go down this route? What what does it actually look like? I mean, I know I, I believe it's two years
2: minimum it's two years and it's about one hundred and fifty thousand euros. Holy Whoa. shit! But yeah, yeah. It's like, what's that in Australian dollars? That's
0: like almost—is it two to one? Let's do some maths. I'll we'll do it that's for like you now. That's
1: like two hundred two fifty to three hundred thousand dollars Australian. That's it's a hell of a lot. That's a lot, that's like three years worth of like someone who's on a good salary. That's that's uh, a let's lot of money.
0: Do this one hundred and fifty thousand is. Yeah, two hundred thirty-five thousand Australian dollars, True. or about one hundred twenty-eight, uh, sorry, one hundred twenty-eight thousand pounds British pounds. That's, that's a shit ton. That's a lot of money. As, and it, that's a
2: lot of I money. I mean,
0: look, I know that it's limited to doctors. Maybe they've got a higher earning capacity, but still, that's crazy money. Well, especially if you're starting your career. Yeah, and and hold on, let me get this right. Do you have to be what year doctor? Do you have to be, or can you just have been graduated?
2: Yeah, if you, if you graduated, you're fine.
0: Okay, right.
2: Like me, I'm, I'm not specialized. I'm just graduated.
1: Right. And what does this course entail? So what do you get for your $235,000? But other than a sticker, that, uh, um, you know, a certificate you can hang on your wall, what what do you actually exactly get? For-
2: I don't know, but there, there's, uh, uh, I think one or two days a week, you get theory and the others you are... Assisting somebody
0: in a clinic. Yeah, I understood there was some practical and a mix of coursework, but it's full time. Yes. I heard, so I don't know how even that works because if you're training, you're not working. Plus, you've invested seventy-five thousand euros a year whilst you're not mm-hmm. earning. I, I don't understand mm-hmm. that. Seems crazy. <laughs> yeah, you'd yeah. have to take a loan, yeah. wouldn't you? It's, yeah, and if take you... a
2: loan. Absolutely, take a loan. It sounds like
1: Amway. Like you pay to become a, to learn, and then you become a member of this society, and then what do you get to train other people, and you earn money? How does it work? Is yeah. it like like a pyramid
2: sales scheme? Yeah, yeah. I wow. Mean, um, the the money has to go somewhere. Yeah, right? and uh, mostly goes to uh, the trainee trainers and clinics that allow trainers uh, trainees to enter. I've been a trainer on several occasions and I do not allow people to enter my office for shadowing uh, at all uh, anymore. So I, I wouldn't know what the benefits would be exactly from offering a position uh, for trains
0: Just out of interest, wh- why don't you like people coming to observe now? What Did anything happen or is it just a
2: time thing or... Well, my patients don't appreciate it. Well, wow, that's true, of course. Yeah, and the thing is, I then okay, I, I would ask money for people to come and watch me at the cost of my patient satisfaction. Yeah, doesn't feel really good. And if somebody's really, really sticking out as a, a very enthusiastic, new, um, interested student or doctor okay then then it's okay for me to have them for a few hours but dragging somebody along and and interfering with your patient doctor relationship i mean doesn't really suit me
0: yeah no i have to say i agree i mean And I don't think you train them well either because you're trying to get on with your job and and focus on the patient. And then you're not really giving your all to the student either. So no one's really Mm -hmm. happy. So I think in those situations, you'd have to dedicate a day where you say, okay, I've got some training patients. They understand the deal. We're going to take longer. I I dedicate my time to the student, but then that eats into your time where you could be earning, I would assume, better money. So it's always hard when you're trying to Mix education with medicine, it's yes, difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, like, like when I do a training, a uh, FernPattern Masterclass, that's uh, 10 students maximum and, and about 10 patients maximum in a yeah. day. Yeah. Which allows me to be cost effective and allows them to really inject on patients, which I think is more, is, is worth more. Than just observing
1: Yeah. So you've got one end of the spectrum in Holland where you've actually carved out a, a a specialty for cosmetic doctors, and you know we've just had a discussion with you about the fact that it may not be what it what it uh, set out to be, and it doesn't really distinguish, and it's probably more political and, and monetary driven. Then you've got the other end of the spectrum where you've got a free for all almost in the UK, and then you've got various countries that are sort of somewhere in between. Like I think Australia's probably pretty sensible considering what the stories that we've heard from other parts of the world but from your all your time in industry and your experience if you had to design a system that you think was ideal how how would you if someone said to you okay tom you've got the you've got the powers to make to sort of regulate this industry and and sort of sort it out how would you go about it
2: oh it's so difficult because you really want the best for your patients right and and i've seen nurses and dentists being excellent. I've seen plastic surgeons being crap. (laughs) Um, So it's very difficult to distinguish beforehand who will be talented uh, in injecting technically and aesthetically and trying to be uh, honest on an emotional level with your patient. And And that's the thing. It's so hard to distinguish that and it's very difficult to get that down to rules and regulations and forms and 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 qualifications. No, well, I'm so happy I don't have to design a system like that <laughs> because it's it, it's it's so difficult. Like for instance, in in the U.S., you see a lot of plastic surgeons who have nurses working for them, and those nurses they do the injectables because plastic surgeon isn't interested in it technically or financially or whatever and those nurses are fantastic i mean they are so good they're so motivated they have entire networks of friends nurses colleagues and they 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 exchange information and courses and it's an amazing system and maybe because it's not a system and because it's just people that love their job. And I wouldn't be able to to, to design to design a course that would be great.
0: Yeah, I mean, every time we've voiced this and, and our listeners have fed back, everyone has said, Yeah, we want regulation and we want, you know, formal training. And on the one hand, I agree with it because, you know, again, if we, if the best intentions are there and we formalize it and it's very sensible, you know, you could make an argument for that. But I think we should be careful for what we wish for, particularly with what you're saying. I was quite excited about this podcast, thinking that it was going to be some revelation that we could aspire to. And, and yet what you're saying just sounds crap. I'm, um, I'm very sorry.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you've been great, but I, I just, yeah, I, I thought that you would give us some, uh, well, or Holland would give us some sort of pedestal to aspire to because it, for everything that you I what? read sounded like, oh, that sounds like a, a sensible idea. But when I read the price, I couldn't believe it. I just thought this is um, elitist. Uh, it works crazily, elitist. elitist. Yeah. Well, it's almost like the
1: government's just said, What's it going to take for you to go away and stop annoying us? Okay, we'll give you this. Okay, can we get on with what we're doing now? Just leave us alone. It sounds like that's it wasn't really something that was well thought through. And now you have a system that doesn't really work.
2: Well, it's personal agendas. I mean, uh, the Ministry of Health is not really concerned with what we are doing, to be honest, right? So if we offer to be strict on ourselves, and regulate ourselves so they won't have to do anything. That makes them easy uh, and eager to, to work with that, right? Um, so it's just the laziness of the government that makes it easy to promote a system like that. Um, and if you if you tell the government, well, we will make this board and that will make the patients safe so you will be off the hook, because you allowed us to make the patient safe then everybody's happy but is it reality i don't know i mean for instance i am i'm forced to have a poster by my sink that instructs me how to wash my hands (laughs) those are the rules whether i wash my hands or not nobody asks and that's my thing with, with regulations in, in this field, or, or maybe in the whole world in, in, in general, is that if you look at regulations, you take your eyes off the reality. And if you look at a good doctor or a bad doctor, it's never, it's, you can never read that in in somebody's curriculum. So, yeah. I'm sorry about disappointing you guys. No, no. (laughs) no.
0: I mean, look, I'll I'll reflect on that. So, for example, here in Australia, uh, we've just recorded... In fact, last week, uh, the episode came out. We we discussed with a panel of... um, I guess key opinion leaders, including Stephen Lou, about what should we do in Australia, and it was it was a really rigorous, interesting debate. We had a nurse and and a dermatologist, a plastic and a cosmetic doctor, and you know, and most people had similar ideas, even if they came at things from different angles. And one of the things was, oh, you know, here in Australia, you can just inject in a in a nail salon or a, a hairdresser or, or whatever. You know, there's no Regulation around where you can inject really. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, like you said in Holland, well, you know, someone has decided it's sensible that you should wash your hands in a certain way and you need a sink and blah, blah, blah. So I like the thought process that, you know, this is the standard that we should head for. But of course, no one can be in your clinic watching you do it. But here in Australia, we don't even have that. It's just, do what you like, so i I, I don't mm-hmm. know. there's pros and cons to this. I just absolutely yeah, I don't know. what do you think, David?
1: <sighs> Gosh, um I think that <laughs> I, I, look I, I think that we have got a pretty decent system, really. I mean, even though it's far from perfect, it seems like you know you still have to be a doctor or a nurse to inject the the drugs are regulated. I think we've got a a fairly active um, regulatory. Um, oversight systems set up in place. So you've got the TGA, you've got ARPA you've got the, the medical board, they all sort of oversee things. If complaints are made, they investigate them. Um, I think that we've got, um, even though the groups seem to be fairly divided at the moment, I think there is some light at the end of the tunnel of, of some common ground that ha- has been found that I think they'll start working together. Um, I think we do a great job educating our patients, and I think that the standard of practitioners in this country is quite high. So I think it, it's far from perfect, mm. but I think it's still a lot better than what I'm seeing happening in other parts in other parts of the world. So I think that um, in some ways, this makes me go, you know, what we're actually doing, not too bad of a job.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, you know, Australia's not too bad, and um, um, unless you try to uh, demonstrate on a conference, uh, for instance, oh, yeah. I go to red tape for opera every time I go to Australia. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And I, and I even have a certain status within APRA. So I'm like halfway uh, in already. And then they want me to do an IELTS test. You know what that yeah, is? Yeah, IELTS uh, English test. Yeah. Just to prevent the mere fact that in case I do not really understand what the patient is trying to get across, that accidents, accidents would happen from that. I mean, we're talking about like one hour on stage and it takes me weeks and weeks and sending information back and forth and an original copy of my uh, medical whatever. And it's, it's, it's
0: crazy paperwork. Yeah, I remember when I moved. You know, obviously from the UK to Australia, it was it was so painful. I remember it just went on for months and months. But mm-hmm. I, I honestly think it's that difficult to weed out the people that probably can't be bothered. So only the the really really committed people come. So you're obviously committed. You keep on doing it. So
2: <laughs> I keep on doing it because I love I love Australia and and and, and I hate winter. So um, uh, I love coming to Australia somewhere in between November and February of yeah. year. And of course, I, I, I get help on, on your side to, to fill in those forms and all that. But I would imagine if you are a criminal and if you are really convinced that you want to work as a doctor in Australia, <laughs> it's not that more difficult than it would be for me <laughs> to demonstrate for an hour on stage so if you really are keen on being a crook i think it, i would be in australia yeah. <laughs> fair enough
0: now i'm curious to know when when all these changes happened in 2019 how much planning did it take to to you know to sort of make it official um, and was there sort of a period where people like yourself who've been doing it for 10 15 years prior to this could you join without doing any of this qualification
2: I could join with doing like two days of extra training at some point. But then I was in a conference in Poland and that particular day, so I couldn't do that. <laughs> and they still have to send me new dates. So I might join. <laughs> you if, sound really excited. <laughs> You see see how eager I am to join life. (laughs) And what would you Um, have to pay? Do you have to pay the same? No, 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 no. I I just pay like 2,000 for a day uh, of training, something like
0: that. And who's going to train you? I mean, I find
2: this a bit ridiculous, but who would train you? Oh, somebody else. Okay. It would probably be about Energy-based devices, or dermatology, or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. To upskill, you know, maybe what you're not doing is regularly. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not doing those. So, I, uh, well, there's a lot of lot of things I could be trained on. I mean, uh, I'm quite narrowly specialized. So, uh, no, that, there's there's a lot you can train on.
0: So, all the people in your position who haven't joined, you know, th- this new. Uh, qualification they, they, their life just carried on as normal oh yeah sure so yeah nothing changed I, I can't understand this so so why has why have people joined if they don't have to from the fear the threats uh, yeah.
2: fear of losing income
0: because uh, the government with the whip saying if you don't do this you might not be able to do it in well, two years well it's not time. the government it's it's that it's, it's not that, not that the group. Government.
2: it's government it's the colleagues that, ah the uh, colleagues that, Right. That form, yeah the colleagues that say if you don't Joined and you'll be doomed forever.
1: Right. So do yeah. you think that um, you know this is going to be something that lasts into the future, or do you think that eventually people are just going to say, "Well, that's not really worth joining. It's a bit of a scam, and it's just going to die a natural death." Do you think, or do you think it's going to continue on?
2: I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's 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 like royalty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if if you wait long enough. People don't know how it started, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, now royalty is very portional, and, and a few hundred years back, it was just the biggest crook with the biggest knife that killed all the other ones, yeah, <laughs> and, and called himself king. Yeah. So I, 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 there's a good chance that in like ten years from now, it will be like a standard thing, and. Uh, I will be retired and somewhere on an island, and don't <laughs> care about what happened. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't
1: know. Can you ever see nurses injecting in Holland? Do you think that would ever happen?
2: I think so. I think nurse inject. I mean, the 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 nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. If that if that's a growing field, they can be very skillful and very dedicated. Yeah. And, and you see in countries where, where nurses are allowed to inject, uh, for instance, Nordic in countries, uh, a Julie Ornish nurse. Yeah. So uh, Sweden, Norway, uh, US, Australia. Australia, Canada. I mean, nurses are excellent there. Yeah. So, yeah, why not?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And when you reflect
0: on when all this started where the plastics and the derms were sort of saying you know waving the flag saying we're the only ones who can do this I mean we've come across a couple of countries where it's a similar situation I remember in Dubai very recently um, physicians were allowed to inject and there was a big sort of hoo-ha there that you know the plastics and the derms weren't happy but do you, I mean you know where do we stop this? Because then, of course, right now nurses can't in Holland, and we support nurses here in Australia. So maybe they'll be allowed, and maybe dentists will. But you know, where do you draw the line? Because um, the UK has said, well, there isn't a line. If you can, you know, pick up a syringe, you can do it. So where, you know, how do we demonstrate competence? Is really my question. And I know that you run your own courses. So at what everybody point-
2: who done my courses. Is-
0: it's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but joking aside, so how do you design, I mean, do you train beginners or do you do intermediate, advanced? Just tell us about how you
2: design your own course. I prefer to not teach beginners mm-hmm. because uh, it's, it's, it's a waste of money and time to teach someone how to open a box of syringes. And... I think you need to have at least one or two years experience in this field to be able to get out of the course, what I try to get across. Yeah. On the other hand, if you have like five or 10 years experience, it's it's just a waste that you haven't had this tool in your toolbox all that time. Yeah. So some people do, do it twice. I mean, they do it in the beginning and then a few years later, they do the exact same course and they get a lot of different information from it just mm. because you, you, you're you watching the same thing with the different eyes. Yeah, but it's not a beginner's course, absolutely not.
0: But presumably, um, you know, the injectors who come to your course, they're just sort of building on skill that it's not like a pass or fail course, I'm guessing. No. Right. No. So you've never had to say to someone, "Look, I'm I'm really sorry, but I just I don't feel this is the thing for you." Or have you ever turned around to someone and said, I-, "I think you're in the wrong career"? Yes. Right. Yes. And so, so what was the yeah. situation there? What What happened?
2: She started crying. Yeah, she was really disappointed. But but it's you have to draw the line that you really fear for the patient's health. If Somebody's trying to draw up alcohol to inject instead of botox or stuff like that. I mean, yeah. Some some people are really really dangerous, Mm. and and luckily I don't see that a lot. But yeah, what happens?
1: Yeah,
0: interesting. I remember a case here in Australia where (laughs) someone drew up Belkyra. Do you have Belkyra in Holland? Mm-hmm. Fat dissolving injection again they drew up Belkyra instead of Botox, and and used Belkyra instead of Botox in the forehead. <laughs> oh, whoa. so um, that was interesting. What happened? What? Uh, well, apparently not much apart from it really, really, really hurt. Yeah. Um and you know, and swelling uh, exactly. It was so like cling on for about a week today. <laughs> yeah. You would have assumed after two or three injections that you might have thought, something's not right here, this screaming Mm. and pain. But anyway, no, the patient was fine. But, I mean, look, these things, I guess, can happen. Even in hospitals, people chop the wrong leg off and these things do happen. But, um, yeah, like you say, when you see someone who's dangerous, uh, yeah, I think you'd have to step in and say, look, I'm really sorry, but put the syringe down and uh, you can observe for the rest of the day, but I'm really sorry, I just can't give you your certificate or wherever you, whatever you give these people.
2: Yeah, and I once saw uh, a doctor uh, drawing up uh, xylocaine from a bottle in a syringe then injected to a patient, then he needed more xylocaine, he came with that syringe... Into the bottle. Into the bottle, back, to draw more xylocaine. I see myself as a pretty Uh, uh, condoned an easy person, but I I really, I got so mad at him. Mm. Because he was a doctor and he was doing this job for years and years. And if you don't understand why that is so wrong, (laughs) I
0: really freaked out. I have to say, and and maybe David can comment, because you've trained and and worked with lots of new injectors, people seem to forget basic uh, things that they would do in a hospital on any given day that they sort of turn into an injector. They forget that they're a doctor or a nurse and they start becoming very unsterile. They do exactly what you just said, Tom. They're sort of messing around with um, sharps and, and they're sort of, you know, Being very unsafe with sharps, whereas in hospital you're told use it, then put it in the sharps bin, and and that's the end of it. Uh Or, Uh or they're sort of um, you know cleaning a face and then touching it again with their glove after they've cleaned it, and then injecting through you know that site. You see so so much bad practice, and I, I this is where I wonder whether a basic competence test could be done, even if it's the most basic almost stupid exam that you would have to do but at least to prove that you've got a brain and common sense Mm. after that of course you know learning how to do tear troughs and temples and all the other things that we do I mean that will have to come in time and whether you decide to just do courses like yourselves Tom or, or an exam where you know we have to do an Australian injectable exam I don't know but yeah You've seen so many stupid yeah, things. You?
1: Uh, look, I don't. I mean, I'm not an injector. I'm I'm not medical. But just from like a business person's perspective, and for someone that's watched this, I think there is an element of people think that, um, or sometimes forget that this is still a medical procedure. It becomes very glamorized, and maybe it's almost perceived as a beauty, as a beauty procedure, like doing your makeup or a spray tan. I think that some people forget that it is still medical, and, and I think it's sometimes easy to. To fall into that into fall into that into that way of thinking I think that's sort of what happens and then particularly you know patients don't take it sometimes that seriously either I mean it's just a, a much more mm-hmm. lax approach I think
0: I mean you know Tom I know that you're active on some of these forums on Facebook and, and you see people asking questions like is it okay to inject half a mill into someone's lips and then, you know, store that syringe for a month and then, you know, with the same needle and syringe, inject them again. And you're kind of thinking, well, how? that's just clearly not sterile. So why would it ever be okay? I mean, would you do that with a, you know, a needle and syringe of, of antibiotics in your hospital? Would you save it and, and leave it in the fridge for a month when it's already been in a patient's face? No, you'd never do that. But you well, see this all said, the time.
2: If you, if you pour a glass of water today, would you drink it tomorrow? I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> no. But even simple things like like gauzes, for instance. Yeah. I mean, I teach people how to use a gauze during my courses. Yeah. Because people wipe all the time. And then there are surprised that patients are bleeding. Yeah, of course they are bleeding because you're wiping. If you want to stop them from bleeding, press on the spot. Yeah. Like, if you want them to bleed, why? Well, like you
0: would, you know, if a nurse is on the ward doing a insulin injection, you take it out and you and you hold a gauze, you don't wipe it. it yeah. You know, it, this is what I'm saying, the, the the common sense just goes out of people's brains. And I don't know why. I, I really don't understand it. And maybe that is a, you know, but here in Australia, there are a lot of junior injectors who who don't do a day in hospital. They, they graduate as a nurse or... It's difficult for a doctor to do that because, of course, you wouldn't just graduate as a doctor and become an injector on day one. You'd normally have gone through hospital for at least two years. You, you can't get your license without that. But for a nurse, they don't have to do that. So maybe there are some basic things that are just lacking and, and maybe there's a bit of a loophole there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but but even doctors. even doctors. Oh, I'm, I'm not blaming nurses at all. Doctors can be dumb as fuck to be honest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact sometimes it scares me more that doctors do do that because I know that they've got more experience and I still see them doing things like your yeah. example of the xylocaine that's crazy yeah or like like having
2: loads of uh, bubbles yeah. in your syringe and yeah. then being surprised that your needle is leaking yeah, yeah. Duh.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've seen a doctor use hypotonic saline as the dilutant for Botox before and injected into someone. That wasn't that didn't go well.
0: Well, that's gonna be a bit stingy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. So the injectors who go through this pathway, do they then have to, you know, do a yearly I don't know, check or competence check or a check in with a mentor or produce any data to say I've been doing good cases?
2: Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh you do have to show how many patients you have, how many treatments you had. Mm-hmm. And every every 5 years or so you have to be like revalidation, I think the word would be. Yeah, revalidation,
0: yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Cuz I mean that's, that's good. Yeah, I mean look, I, I remember when I was a junior doctor, I had to do like a yearly thing with my consultant and sit down and talk through all the operations I've done and you know, blah, blah, blah. It was all a bit of a, a tick box exercise, but at least I had a piece of paper to prove I've done something. So, mm-hmm. do, you know, we discussed this in the last podcast. Do you think there's any merit in, in injectors having a logbook of of injections and, you know, all the cases that they've done? And of course,
2: complications. Oh, complications, yes, absolutely. And, um, a logbook, I wouldn't know. I always think, would I be better if I had a logbook? I don't think I would. Well, not better, but, you know, I mean, you've been
0: injecting for years and the assumption is that you've done hundreds of thousands of cases or whatever it may be, but, you know, you may have I some... might be
2: crap <laughs> at injecting.
0: Well, exactly. It doesn't prove skill. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's the problem. But then how are we ever going to prove skill if there's no exam, no, no form? Oh, and, and a logbook. I mean, I can be very
2: good at logbooks and a very <laughs> crap injector.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although if you're a crap injector, if you're a crap injector, you'd, the logbook would probably become less and less work over time because less patients would be coming back <laughs> to see you.
2: Yeah, well, look at me now. I have a half a, an hour and a half to talk to you guys. So,
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty scary. And you're going to the beach. I can't believe it. And I'm going to the
2: beach. Mm. You got a point. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I know you've seen some VIPs today, so maybe you had a good day in the morning. I
2: have a very good day in the
0: morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, fair enough. And what about things like, um, you know, do you think injectors should have to do mandatory basic life support or an obligatory course every year to, to manage emergencies, you know, like blindness and occlusions, etc. Do you think that would be a good idea or do, is there anything like that existing in yeah. Holland?
2: Yeah, I think that's a very good idea. It's a very good idea to be at least trained into uh, the, the theoretical things of, of blindness. Um, and, of course, life support. I mean, that that's essential. And I, I would be very uneasy not knowing what to do uh, yeah. in cases like that. Um, I'm not a big fan of rules, but that would be a good rule. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: One of the um, arguments put forward by the UK government um, in relation to not getting involved in regulation or trying to stop people from injecting was the enormous amount of, and this gets back to your point around money, was the amount of tax that was generated from all these treatments, from all these providers doing these treatments? And I guess, you know, with the Dutch government initially, you know, wanting to work with doctors to change the system or was it something that, you know, they just had to be nagged out or did they see potentially the opportunity to sort of, you know, cash in a little bit?
2: Well, it's, it's, it's um, essentially it's, it's the, the colleagues that convinced the government to go along with this plan. So it's not the government, it's not government uh, initiative. Mm. And I'm really, I'm frightened by what you say, that, that the UK government doesn't want to lose the tax on the injectables from, uh, from the beauticians and all that. That's that's straightforward, and that's, that seems quite honest, but it's scary at the same time, right? Um, so that means that you're willing to give up your patient safety or your, your 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 people's safety for money. That's that's yeah. pretty scary.
1: Well I guess, you know, something and Jake and I have spoken about it plenty of times is there doesn't I mean, when you think about it logically, there must be horrific complications happening and the risk factor with these procedures with people that are unmedically medically trained doing them must be high. Mm-hmm. But you don't sort of hear about them. You you know, you're not sort of hearing about these horrific stories of you know, dozens and dozens of people going blind and strokes and all sorts of ho- horrendous aesthetic outcomes. So where's the data on this? I mean, because the governments generally only act once it becomes a public issue and, you know, people are criticizing them and, you know, their political opponent is using that as a tool against them. That's generally what motivates politicians, let's be honest. Yes,
2: yes. And the media. Yes. I mean, we in Holland, if it's in the media, it's in the newspapers and then it, gets into the the government unfortunately it's 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 that pathway i don't hear from complications from petitions or whatever in holland and and what i see are at worst bad work by colleagues and um so i i don't have a vision on um, um, I don't have a good scope on, on what's happening beneath the surface.
0: What are the co- what do your colleagues think about the people like yourself who who haven't joined? Do they sort of see you as a bit of a rebel or are they're like, oh, that's Tom, he's been doing this for years he's okay
2: what's it <laughs> you know how do they see you? You should ask them because they <laughs> might not be honest with me. When I see them, I, 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 well, they say, most of them say, I, I understand you don't join because you don't need to. But it's very important that we do or something like that.
0: Yeah. Do you get an invite to their Christmas party or? <laughs> no, no. No, okay. Probably, probably says it all in, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well I, 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 I did some teaching for them and I meet them on conferences and it's very it's very difficult for me to get a straight answer because i'm on the stage and they're not yeah or, <laughs> yeah fair enough
0: um, yeah i don't know one thing i wanted to ask you because i know you mentioned leone's name so in holland I, this is what i'd I'd love to establish here in australia and maybe we will one day you've got centers of excellence that manage emergencies and complications um, so, you know, ultrasound and, and presumably MRI are tools that are readily available in a, some sort of referral network. How, did, how does it work and, and how busy are these places?
2: They're pretty busy and I know Laney is working a few days a week in, in one of those centers and a few other colleagues of mine and um, yes, I'm surprised by the numbers of occlusions they see and they resolve. And, and apart from Things going wrong i mean there's a lot of things going ugly mm. uh, a lot of ugly teardrop treatments out there yeah everywhere yeah <laughs> and um so they need uh they need time to to resolve that and with ultrasound you can really have a good view on where the needle is inside a pocket of hyaluronic acid so that's perfect if you want to resolve that with hyaluronidase
0: and how many centers are there? Is there just one or are there several of them? There's one okay. and and how does it work? I mean, does the the treating doctor who has the problem send the patient with a letter
2: and 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 pay or, or how does it all work logistically? I think most of the work there because it's in a it's in a normal hospital, so I think it's it's insurance paid mostly
0: right, okay. So it's just like a public hospital they can turn up and yeah. be treated for. Free, yeah. Wow, that's an amazing resource. I as, mean, as
2: far as I know, don't don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my worry <laughs> would be that it's abused. You know, people do shit work and then say, "Well, go see Leone. It's free." <laughs> you know that, that that would be my worry.
2: Yeah, you should talk with Leonie about that because I don't have don't I I don't have data on that. I mm-hmm. don't know how many people just <laughs> shrug their shoulder, shoulders and say, "Well." bad luck for you and here's the address and uh, have looney sorted out I, I don't know how big that group is that's um, right we'll uh, definitely do a podcast with Lurie it'll be great if you
1: could
0: yeah, link should, us up and
1: introduce us it'll be great
0: <laughs> I will perfect well listen Tom I'm mindful of the fact that uh the beach is calling you and uh, <laughs> you're having nice weather for the first time in a long time. Um, oh, yeah. We really appreciate your time. I, I know that it's um, it's an interesting topic that I, I think we've established quite clearly that we still don't have an answer to. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually, the more I think about this, the more I think we're actually in a pretty reasonable position in Australia. Yeah. It's, it's not perfect by any standards, but... we're yeah, pretty good. You're
2: pretty good in Australia. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I, yeah. I, I really worry for if something is imposed on us whenever it may be or, or, or does happen one day we're going to regret it and be like well we had the good days where we could have just been sensible and, and not had you know a fee to pay and you know been told how to wash your hands etc and, mm-hmm. and and suddenly mm-hmm. things are forced upon us I think you, you could be careful for what you wish for
1: absolutely well we'll have to get you back Tom and we'll just go into the fern technique and discuss that at length I think that will be that will be great of
0: Actually, yes. I've got one more question. Um, tenting yeah. your tenting technique for lips. Yeah, yeah. Yes or no? <clears throat> do yes. I mean do? <laughs> do you agree or, or not? Uh, sorry, do you agree that um, migration can be an issue? Of course not. Okay. Can you explain why some doctors around the world are so anti-tenting?
2: Because they want more followers. <laughs>
0: okay. Fair enough. I mean, look. I, I guess the the proposed mechanism was if you come in from the white roll, you inject the lip, and then as you inject a retrograde thread, you, you know, you can inject basically into the white roll. That that's basically what I understood the mechanism. Or, yeah, or, or, and, that,
2: and that particular doctor said if you start here and you inject to there, then there will be a pathway beyond. Where your needle has ever been? Yes, that's crap. That's absolutely impossible. I mean, the needle has not been there. So how can there be a tunnel? Yeah, which I created. That's that's ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just that's a kind of fantasy science that is is uh, making me mad, actually.
0: Okay, We'll have to do a panel discussion. Talking one
2: about talking about fake ethics. That's that's fake ethics.
0: It's a fake what? Sorry. Fake fake ethics. Oh ethics. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We'll do we'll do. A, I think we need to do another panel discussion with a couple of injectors. <laughs> yeah, we'll do tenting t- 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 aspiration. T- tenting and aspiration. <laughs> that
2: would be a fantastic podcast. Oh aspiration. We can talk about our aspiration. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay fair enough well listen we'll save our ammo for another time but thanks again for your time Tom can you remind people of uh, you know maybe your Instagram
2: or, or your in website
0: touch. yeah
2: oh yeah well I will you have a nice picture of you guys to send me and, uh, I can post it no 100% sure.
0: we'll definitely do that but I think it's Ike. is that correct your Instagram yes Perfect. Yes. So, and is that the best way to get hold of you? Quite responsive, or do you do it yourself?
2: I do it myself, so I'm quite responsive. Unless I'm on the beach. <laughs> okay. And uh, you no, know, I like to do all those things myself because um, if, if you leave it to someone else, you have to instruct them.
1: Yeah, you yeah. Might as well do it quicker to do it on yeah. your own.
2: Absolutely. Keep it small. Keep it simple. Keep it real.
1: Yeah. Well a nice way to end thank you tom for your time enjoy the beach we'll be in touch we'd love to have you back and thank you again
0: 100 see you later you so for our latest news upcoming guests and episode topics follow us on instagram at inside aesthetics podcast
1: during the week before every recording look out for our instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out you can also dm us for any other
2: information suggestions or guest requests